Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And what is happening in the gardening world this week? Well, I tell you what, all kinds of groovy things from what I'm looking at at the moment. And you're going to be hearing about all of them in a moment as well from a woman who you may have seen on Gardening 101 with me, She's a beekeeper. She makes the most amazing goodies for gardeners. All her bee stuff as well, like the best honey I have ever tasted in my life ever. But all of these very inventive little goodies as well that just make your life a lot easier when it comes to actually getting down into the garden. Diane Duplessy, thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure, Mel. Thanks for having me. Your company's name is Six Degrees East. Now, I mean, I know you do a whole range of different things. and We're going to get to those in a moment. But where did the name come from? Originally, well, I started out as I am a GIS specialist and most of the African yeah, country, a GIS specialist, geographic information systems specialist. Oh, okay. And I work for the mining industry in exploration and I've worked in all those countries and some of them I've even spent a lot of time in. So it's all the ones on the six degrees east. So it's Ghana, Burkina Faso, Mali going up that way. So we're looking for gold at that stage. Okay, well, this is quite a change from what you were doing then. Well, it's all um, environmentally friendly in some ways, and it's always working with the environment. Yes. And okay. you, yeah. I think the first time I ever met you was when you came and spoke to the Lifestyle Garden Club and you brought in your wonderful little aprons, your shwe shwe aprons, which was specifically designed for gardeners to be able to put their tools in and bulbs and whatever else you need to. And like all kinds of bits and pieces, which people went completely mad. Why did you decide to get that going? I lost two cell phones gardening um, and it was out of absolute necessity. Ladies' clothes never have pockets. And if you do, they have jeans and a cell phone often pops out if you're bending down. And I thought, no, I can't carry on like this. It's too expensive. And then I thought, well, I'm always leaving my secateurs somewhere. And the next time I prune that rose, whatever, I found them again a year later. So it was an expensive um, purchasing of, of different things. And I also realized, you know, I want something that I can put around my waist. Mm. So it's a lot more ergonomic and then have everything with me because I've got a large property and then walking to and fro from the shed back to where I'm gardening, it was taking a lot of my time. And also then you see something, oh, I need to quickly pick this or, you know, chop that one down. Or And your property, of course, is on a hill. It <laughs> so is. it's up it, and down a lot of the time. It is. It's, it's a lot of hard work. You know, it's, it's over an acre and to go from the bottom of the garden to the top of the garden, we're right on top of Northcliffe Hill. So it's, it's hard work up and down all the time. But I'm sure it must be very, very good for the body, actually. <laughs> what was the first thing that you decided to come up with and why? Was it the, it was these the aprons? aprons? And most definitely to have a cell phone pocket. And then I just from that on, it just kept on growing. Then it had a hand tile attached to it yeah. with a very sturdy buckle because that was another thing. If you wear an apron and it's just got a bow on it, often that bow comes loose. And it's very annoying. It's very annoying. Everything will drop out. And also, you know, in winter and summer, you've got a few more layers on. So it has to be adjustable. Yes. But also the shwe shwe, it's a beautiful fabric, but it's a cotton and it is hard wearing, but it also needs to be a little bit reinforced. Hence, we've put in the dry mac, so it's waterproof. So if you get a bit of water or you have to run through the sprinkler, mm -hmm. you won't get that wet. And I've also put the three tabs on the back so you can hang it up as an organizer. So you can put in all your different secretaries, scissors, trial, whatever. I've got mine on my shed door. So then if I just need one, you know, a pair of secretaries, I know exactly where it is. Mm -hmm. So it's easier that way without rummaging around looking for your things. Because no, I never know where anything is. 
the travails of being a blonde. All right, so you went from doing the aprons to all kinds of wonderful bits and pieces. Yes, well, being concerned about the environment, um, I was looking at a way, luckily, thanks to Jane Griffiths, got me on to looking at something to get seedlings to grow without using plastic and yeah. to give as much soil and goodness around the seed, the seed then turning into a seedling once it's germinated. And then you can transplant it without a seed or the seedling going through any transplantation yes. shock. And hence the planter came along. A planter. A planter. Okay, explain the planter to people. <laughs> this is quite an interesting one. It's between a plunger yes. and a planter. So what we've got here is a, an empty sleeve, a block sleeve, yes. that's got a plunger with it. So what you do, you turn it upside down yes. and fill it with potting soil, a germination mix. Um, I've got all the instructions on the website, what I use. I also definitely here use the koi the palm peat, yes, because that binds it beautifully together. And the palm peat again is sterile and adds lots of nutrients, and it expands beautifully. And it really keeps the the block in place. Yes. So what you do, you'd fill up the block, turn it upside down, fill up the the little square. The square. Cube. It's actually a cube. It's yeah. a cube. Yeah. Yes, but it's hollow. You'd fill it up, turn it upside down, fill it up with the soil, turn it around like you would remember when we had those coffee plungers yes so you'd plunge it down releasing as much of the water as possible but binding the soil perfectly together yes and then you would take out the plunger and then remove the sleeve around it and then you have like a little block of soil you have a, a block of soil with a perfect little indentation to pop your seed in pop your seed in then you'll keep it moist of course, yes. and you'd leave it open like this, so it's exposed on all four sides, sorry, five sides, and your seed will germinate and grow out. Now, the beauty of that, when you're now going to transplant that into the soil, once it's large enough, you can use the sleeve to measure out how deep your hole must be yes. and how wide. I always battle with that. I always make it too small. And then you transplant the whole block into the soil and just pat it down. This... The, when it grows, the roots will reach the side, and as soon as it sees the air and the light, it will air prune itself. It'll yes. just go dormant. And the minute it's into the ground, it'll continue to grow. So it literally hits the ground running. And you'll get your, your vegetable or your flower producing much quicker. You'll save about seven days because it doesn't Good go Lord. through a transplantation shock. That is the thing is like I've always had things that have grown in little seeding trays. Like they always die because you have to go and plant them into something else. And I hate that. Yes. And again, you're saving plastic because you only need this one, one sleeve. You, one sleeve. And you can use it again and again and again. And it's also a larger area. So you've got more goodness in your soil. Yes. And of course, you don't have that transplantation shock. Now, another one of the products I know that you came up with was also some hand creams and stuff, which a friend of mine absolutely swore by. I was just wondering, are you still doing them or not? Yes, we are. And um, they are, again, being with my African roots yeah. from West Africa, it's 100% pure shea butter. And all we've added is a bit of essential oil, sage and citrus, and that is it. And I really suffer from eczema on my hands, of course, being a gardener, very dreadfully hands are always scruffled and dry, and it really works. <laughs> I, can, I can relate to that. My hands, especially in winter, are so dry, with short nails, breaking everything. So I'm sure that the shea butter actually really does help with the, the nails not breaking as well. 
Yes, and, and also getting in that, the moisture in, and seal into your hands. And you mm. can use it all over your skin. It's a wonderful anti-aging and it's light SPF 5, natural SPF 5. Oh, really? Okay. But it does have, yes. Because that's one, one thing we, that people don't think about when they okay, we're going to go outside, we're going to go and like, we put on our 30 protection factor on our faces, etc., etc. How often do people put it on the back of their hands? Never, they don't? Never. Yeah, I do because I mean, I'm very aware of it. And I mean, you don't, you want to save some money on having to go and actually have laser done on your hands to get rid of those sunspots and age spots. So, I mean, that, that's an absolutely fantastic barrier. It really is. Yes. And we've also got two different types of bar soaps, natural, of course, but bar soaps. One is a, a, we call a milk soap, which is a castile soap. It's a very mild soap. Mm-hmm. You can also use to wash your hair, so it can also be a shampoo. And then we've also got a um, activated charcoal, which is very trendy at the moment. Yes, I know my children, teenagers that they are, they're like, we've got to get this clay stuff, and we've got to get activated charcoal, and we need these, and we've got to mix all of these things. And it's quite interesting. I'm going to try and get hold of her at some stage, a woman who's a cosmetic chef. Oh. And so she's actually a chef, but then she decided to start making things out of the stuff that was at home. And that was fascinating to listen to. So, I mean, it is a case of let's go as natural as possible. And one of the natural things I know that I've found out about from you and everybody's always saying, where do we get diatomaceous earth from? Because it is one of those things that are fantastic for all kinds of bugs and crawlies in the garden, isn't it? Most definitely for the garden, also for the kitchen. If you've got an ant problem in your kitchen, I suggest to people that they decant it into an old spice jar and just sprinkle it over the counter where your issue is and leave it. The diatomaceous earth that I have is food grade. It's mm. human food grade. So you can leave it on your counter. And if you consume it, it's absolutely fine because people consume it daily because it's food grade for detoxing purposes. Um, it's perfect for pets. Put it onto their food. Mm. Stop the ants eating the food. Mm. And it also, when they digest it, gets rid of their parasites in their stomach. You can put it directly onto their fur, their coats, it keeps ticks and fleas away and also onto their bedding keeps ticks and fleas away and they don't seem to object. Even the fussiest cat would still eat their food with diatomaceous earth on it. It's interesting how people are becoming so much more aware and I'm sure that you've seen an increase in sales of the various bits and pieces that you've got. And I mean, we've got to talk about your honey in a moment because my goodness, that is just the floriferous indigenous honey that is made by six degrees east. Oh my goodness, you have never tasted anything like it. But we'll get to that in a moment. So what else, um, like you've got the diatomaceous earth. I'm looking at, you had something wrapped up in, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite things that Diane has made. These pieces of cloth, which have been completely soaked in beeswax. Yes, thanks, Mel. Um, it's 100% cotton that I've soaked in beeswax, rosin, mm. tree rosin, and light um, jojoba oil. And what it does, it impregnates the, the fabric. The fabric. Yeah. And what, what it does, it serves as like a replacement for cling film and plastic. So you put your avocado pear, your end of a cucumber, the lid, maybe if you don't, for a tin, if you mm. don't have a lid, you pop it on over that and it seals airtight and it's sticky and it's got like a the resin that makes it very tacky. Yeah. So you fold it up something like that or just squish it up, pop it into the fridge and it keeps fresh beautifully. 
the beeswax contains naturally antibacterial, antifungal properties. Yeah, yeah. So it really slows down the deterioration of your food, particularly nice for cheese. I was going to say, I've actually wrapped my cheese in it because that's one of those things, I mean, especially these days with the cheese being so expensive, that, you know, if you go and buy, sometimes they have the specials and you've got a big block of cheese. And I don't particularly want to put half of it into the freezer because you can freeze cheese and then you use it when you grate it, but it's not going to be that nice creaminess. This way, though, it actually stops your cheese from going blue. <laughs> it does. And yes, it totally stops it from that. It also doesn't get dry. It keeps mm. it very moist. And you can wash them with light detergent and cold water. And you'll just wipe it down as you would a chopping board. Yeah. And you put it over your rack to dry. And it should last between eight months to a year. And after that, it's totally biodegradable. So you can either scrunch it up, it makes a lovely little fire lighter, or pop it in the compost because it'll totally decompose. Decompose. Goodness me. So you've got all these different little things here with all these different colors. And um, you also brought the Shwe range in as well, which, I mean, it's the, the bee wax wrap, reusable food wraps, and all different shapes and sizes and colors, which I absolutely adore. And I'm telling you, I use mine all the time. And they make a wonderful little um, gift for somebody, you know, yeah. instead of, you know, if you go out for dinner, you know, sit some wine or chocolates or something like that, it, you know, it encourages people to be eco-friendly. And another, it's very nice for sandwiches for the kids for school. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work with my children. They still get the Tupperware and <laughs> throw everything into the Tupperware and take that to school. And then, of course, what happens is your Tupperware never comes back, which is very annoying. Okay, so we've got all of these different bits and pieces, which we are going to be discussing a little bit more. The, the ingenious designs that Diane has come up with. Now, you've actually come up with a whole bunch of stuff that you've designed, I believe, because there was a lack of stuff that you needed. And while you were playing with your planter, which you, <laughs> I still have that name, a planter, it just sounds like you've actually got a bit of a lisp of some sort. You watered it from a natural, uh, from a water bottle, which you put a little spray head onto. Is that one of the things you designed? Yes, now we unfortunately have to import them. Yeah. We've had to look at getting it made locally and it makes no economic sense, unfortunately. Oh, gosh, really? It's awful, yes. But what it does, you can put it onto any bottle, a two-liter bottle, half a liter bottle, any size like yeah. that, and it gives the most loveliest lights. Spray. Spray. Yeah. And also really nice for your seedings and seeds because it doesn't flush them out, keeps them in place. And also it's really good for foliage feeding and things like that. And also nice for kids to play with in the garden instead of taking the hose. You know, they can play around without leaving the hose on or making huge big holes in the soil when they leave the hose pipe on. Mm. Yeah, and one of the things children, unfortunately, are not allowed to do in the garden anymore. Now, you've also got a thing that you can hang a bottle from a tree. It's a hook with some holes in the front. What am I looking at here? That's an organic fly trap. What you do, again, take a bottle, a recycled bottle, and at the bottom, if you put some meats or a fish or tuna, anything like that, and if you're vegan or vegetarian, the flies also like broccoli. So put a bit of broccoli at the bottom of the, the bottle and add about 100 moles of water just to give it some weight. Mm -hmm. And I leave it in the kitchen for about a week until the family complain about the smell. <laughs> By that time, I've got about you know, 10 flies in it. And the flies can't go up. They can't seem to be able to walk up or fly up to get out really? again. They seem to die of exhaustion and then drown. Because I have a huge fly problem, mainly because my next door neighbor's cottage kept on flooding which meant that, you know, get all the sewerage coming down because I take their stormwater. So every single year, flies are a big issue, but I've never known how to get them. Now, the one thing that's interesting for me is that it's yellow, and I know that yellow usually attracts insects. It does, especially flies, because it reminds them of a, a wound. 
Yeah. Really? Yes. A suppurating wound of some sort. Good Lord, that just sounds revolting. So, I mean, that's easy enough. Just hang it on a branch somewhere in the tree. And then what you can do once you've got enough flies there and, and they're not being attracted anymore, dig a hole in the ground and bury the contents. It adds nutrients to the soil, which mm. also stops that whole cycle of the egg, the larva and the fly. Oh, okay. So you learn something new every single day. Okay, so now I've got a blue pointy thing. Yes. What am I going to do with this blue pointy that's thing? That's a gravity feeder. So what we do, we put a, a little hole towards the bottom and it slowly releases the water again. It will fit onto a two litre bottle. Yes. And you'll turn it upside down and put it into the soil or in, directly into a pot plant when you're going away. Or even if it's a pot plant that you'd battle to reach or something that needs a lot more water than you know, once a week water, yeah. it wants a continuously moist environment. So, so would you put a hole into the bottle at the, like you're turning it upside down, obviously, with the base at the top? Yes. And yes. would you put any holes into that just so that it doesn't kind of like start sucking and making a vacuum? Occasionally it does make a vacuum and then just do a little prick with a thumbtack. Yeah. But not all bottles do that, strangely enough. It'll be like one in every 10 bottles will get that vacuum. Okay, I thought that all of them would do that. But these are like really, really fabulous little things. I mean, you come up with this whole range of stuff that I'm sitting and looking at it and thinking, okay, that's just little bits and pieces of brightly colored plastic. But I mean, they're really ingenious. And and now we've got a, I'm assuming this might have something to do with seeds. Yes, it's a seed dispenser. Yeah, It's um, got a gauge for different size seeds, especially small little herb seeds. That or, or like a carrot, that it's yeah. difficult actually to get them at in intervals, at correct intervals. So you just change the gauge to what size seed you've got and then just put ah. it at like one, you know, so seed. So you can put it into the drill, all the way along. So you don't end up with that forest of carrots and then a desert of carrots and then a forest of carrots. You actually get them evenly distributed. Okay, well, carrots don't work so well in my garden, no, to be honest. All right, so what else have we got here? I mean, you've got these other little shweshwear. What is this? It's like, it looks like a pencil case. Yes, it's for your straws. For your, straws? For your straws, for your stainless steel reusable straws. Oh, okay. So what we do, we've put shweshwear again inside. It's got Dramax. So you put that into your handbag. So if you've yeah. got some milkshake or wonderful cocktail left over in your straw, it's not going to get into your handbag and get your handbag all yucky and sticky. You're thinking of everything, hey? So yes, again, the reusable straws, when they go in the dishwasher perfectly. Yeah. And yes, you, you know, don't have to use a plastic straw. Okay. And then we've got a, another pencil case. What's yes. in this pencil case? That is um, produce bags. So instead of going and getting your, say, potatoes yes. out of that plastic bag at the supermarkets. You take your own produce bag with ah. you and you put your produce in that. And it's also quite nifty because you, you'll get your, it isn't a heavy bag to start with. Yes. And it's transparent so they can see what your purchases are. And especially something for like your onions. You don't get that like shell all over Yes. All over. It stays in there neatly. But that's something that's come in very handy, especially for those shops now where they are doing completely plastic free. I wish there would be a lot more of them because I'm so anti-plastic. But then how would we make eco bricks if we didn't have all of these little bits and pieces that we needed to recycle somehow or the other? But I mean, this is really like a really great idea. And to get people to get away from the idea of being so reliant on something which you use once. And then what are you going to do with it? Yes, instead of turfing it away, definitely, you've got to re reuse. Okay. Now, one of the things that um, I love talking to Di about is the fact that she is a beekeeper. So just to talk a little bit, I know that you're, you're not like 
one of the people who does beekeeping equipment, but you do harvest your own honey and your beeswax, which you do use for your products and everything. So, you know, it's all 100% great. Why did you decide to get into growing bees? I've got an indigenous garden and I've always had bees in the garden. They've always been a a feral hive in our Mm. garden and actually under the driveway. And um, I thought, well, if they're happy and they're prolific, well, they can't let me try and see if I can... Well, I mean, especially, especially if you, you can't really harvest honey from underneath your driveway. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that would be a little bit difficult. <laughs> Most definitely. So your feral bees, do they interfere or do they go and move into like the hives that you've put in there or, or how does that work? No, they won't. They shouldn't occupy the other hives that I've got um, unless the, the current bees have moved on. I don't see why they would at the moment because I've, even midwinter, they're still very happy. I've got lots of aloes, I've got a lot of lavender, and also I found the um, perennial basil. They yes. love that perennial basil. So I just try and this time of the year especially make sure they've got enough food and water. They also do need water. Oh, you're not scared of bees. I mean, I'm allergic to bees. So for me to go near bees, it's like, whoa, I'm not going to be going there. Thank you very much. I'm just so worried about getting stung. When you go close to them and you know you're going to do your maintenance, you're going to put on your full beekeeper's kit and you won't have a problem. And also just work quickly, but sensibly and, you know, try and get in and out as quickly as possible without disturbing them too much. One thing I learned very much is like, do not get in their flight path because they do. They have a specific way of getting into their hive and back out again. And they always fly in the same direction, which I found really fascinating because I went to a place where they had, I think, 11 hives down in their little forest, which they'd created on the edge of a grassland. And I mean, these I stood there and it was beautiful because the bees were going completely crazy. And I'd stood and watched this puddle of light and they flew straight out of the hive straight up and out between the trees. You don't know which plight a, a bee. And I thought, well, why is it going up? And the next thing I'm like, all of them are going up. So they have a specific place that they will fly. And I had to go and tell my cameraman, listen, don't walk over here. Okay, because that's when the bees will get cross with you because you're in their flight path. Yes, definitely. They don't want, you know, going in and out the hive. They want to make go in straight and out as quickly as possible. That is the biggest thing. And most hives face east. So always have a look around it and which way the bees are coming in and out and then always work from the back. Mm. Even if you've got to do something fairly close to the half, don't go to the front of it. Do it at the back. There's also this thing that people are not quite sure. I mean, if you want to have a beehive in your garden, do you need to have like special permission to be able to do so? Do you need to speak to your neighbors about it? Do they need to be aware of the fact that you have a beehive? How does that all work? There are a lot of feral halves around Mm. and all my neighbors have a feral half anyway. So when I spoke to them, the way I went about it, I gave them all a bottle of honey and said, look, I'll do this annually for you. Um, It is local honey, which, of course, it's so important for you Mm. to have local honey because it builds up your resistance. And um, I haven't had any problem. Actually, I've had some of them come to me and say, oh, would you like to have our feral hive? (laughs) You can't take over a feral hive. Come on. (laughs) Well, it's difficult to move a feral hive. Um, Mm. Or if you've got a hive in your roof or something like that, you can put it into a proper box and um, a hive, you know, try and maintain it that way. Mm -hmm. But it's not always successful. But at least people are aware of it more now than they used to be. I mean, I remember there was a hive that ended up in the roof of my cottage. And I you know, called the people and said, I need you to move this hive. And they actually just took out the entire colony. I mean, that we are talking about 20, 25 years ago. 
nowadays, can they rehome those bees if they come to your place? You know, with the smoke and the beekeeper outfit and everything. Are there still some cowboys out there that will just actually kill the whole hive? There are still, unfortunately, a lot of cowboys, but most of the beekeepers today are really concerned about them and they will move them because it's, make, it's really economically viable for them to move the hive and then harvest it for themselves. Mm. Um, so, yes, have a look, make sure that the person, what they're going to do with the hive. Most of them would move it successfully to another hive, hopefully out in the countryside. Mm. Actually, we were just chatting briefly before we came on air, and you were saying that there's more research being done into bees than any other animals in the world. Most definitely. People have finally realized what the bee is doing um, and, and the, the pollination and how important it is for all our crops. It's vital that we have the pollination in the bees. And there's not just the honeybees that does the pollinating. We must forget we've also got solitary bees yes. and hover bees and things like that. So we need to encourage not just bees, but all the hosts, all the different types of um, insects back into our garden and get that biodiversity working. Because, of course, I mean, the hoverflies and wasps and predatory wasps, they're like the lions and the tigers of the garden world. So, I mean, we can have, we've got to bring the lions and tigers back to come and get rid of all the bad stuff. Exactly. That's exactly what we need. Instead of spraying them with chemicals, bring nature back into the garden. It's fascinating as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad places like France have decided to actually ban all pesticides that might have anything to do with bees as well. Yes. Another talking about pesticides and bees, it's we need also, when you buy your honey, Always look at where it comes from, even though mm. it might be from some other wonderful area or, say, from a macadamia. Are those trees being sprayed with insect repellents? And what is going into that? We, mm. You know, it's not necessarily that it's the best honey out because it might still have some insecticides in it. Now, if you ever want to get hold of Di's stuff, you don't just have to also go online and have a look, although that's the easiest way. She also does all these little markets and things, so you can find her at all the gardening markets. You should just like share with me and we'll put it out on Mel's Treasures and we can like get things going through Mel's Treasures as well <laughs> and have all of this stuff like flying off the shelves because that's what it's about, is actually like really championing entrepreneurship, which is what you've actually come up with purely because of your belief in a better world fall. And I love Most it. Most definitely. Thank you, Mel. All right. So if people want to get onto the website, that is www.6degreeseast.co.za. And if Do they want to email you? D-U-P-S-S at mweb.co.za. So I suggest that you go and have a look and see what amazing things which we've been talking about are available. And of course, it's proudly South African. Absolutely. There thank you, Mel. Di, thank you so much. And we need to have these things if we're going to get out into the garden and have fun. And don't forget to get the wonderful creams as well. And we'll be back again next time with some more fabulous stuff from the world of gardening. Until then, get out into the garden and stay grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.